1: Thanks for joining us on Breaking Down Collapse. I am super excited today because I have once again handed the reins of this episode over to Kellen, which means I get to sit back and relax.
0: Oh no, you don't get to relax. You are expected to be an active participant here. <laughs> I can manage that. I get to do the easy
1: job that you always have of just
0: asking questions. <laughs> hey, asking questions is the hard part. <laughs> we'll see. Well, today we're going to focus on a topic that came to mind when you first started teaching me about collapse. And it's something that's been on my mind all along. And I see it as a huge contributor. And you could even argue the cause for the problems that we're having now and the path that we're on. And the topic is moral decline. Yeah. And I know
1: we mentioned this last episode, but you have brought this up to me several times since we had that first conversation about how you feel that moral decline is, like you just said, one of the biggest, if not the biggest cause of the collapse of society, which makes me really excited to hear your take on that.
0: Yeah, and there's so much that we can talk about, and hopefully in future episodes we'll be able to dive even deeper. But I do want to just start out by saying that the purpose of this episode You know, we talk about moral decline when we say anything about morals. My intention isn't to declare, like, what is sin, right? We're not looking at it from a religious perspective. We're looking at it from a collapse perspective. You know, religion does play a part. But again, I'm not preaching a certain set of beliefs or values to you or anyone who's listening. So if it's offensive to anybody out there for me to say that morality is and has been declining, then let's just say that it's changing. I know some people kind of just bristle at the mention of morals, but whether you call it moral decline or moral decadence or just a shift in morals, I think we can all agree that the world today is a much different place from that standpoint than it was just a few generations ago. And it's a sensitive topic because people don't want to be told that they could be incorrect. You know, we've we've talked about that before with echo chambers You know, people naturally just have this confirmation bias. They want to hear things that agree with their point of view. So not only do people not want to hear that they're incorrect about an opinion, but they especially don't like to be told that what they are doing, that their behavior is wrong, which is part of the reason we're in this whole mess headed toward collapse in the first place. Okay, so there has been a shift in morals and in some ways for the better. Right. You look at past generations and you look at today and minority groups that used to be generally mistreated are given more general acceptance and more opportunities than in the past. You know, there's more awareness about things like mental health. We talked about mental health in past episodes. In some ways, we are progressing as a society when it comes to what we commonly agree is right or is wrong. But then you take a look at the way that people attack each other online and just how brutal like the bullying is. You look at marital infidelity. There's evidence and research out there that shows that that is dramatically increased from past decades. You know, so cheating and affairs, uh, you look at academic cheating. And again, there's lots of statistical evidence that that has increased dramatically. Crime has increased, you know, animal cruelty, there's more fraud, there's more corruption, which leads to huge spikes in depression and suicide. If you just look at it from a numbers perspective, there are a lot more bad things happening, right? To say it simply. And I know that each one of those things, right? For example, crime increasing, there's a million different ways you can break down those numbers and the data is messy. It's hard to gather. But when you lump All of those things together, even if you're a skeptical person like me, there's really no argument you can make against just the mountain of evidence that there has been a major shift in our morals as a society here in the U.S., but also globally.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's no doubt that we've been going downhill for a while and it's interesting the point that you brought up about how, like, in a lot of ways, we are getting better. And I think that on the average, that's true. Like, the average person is hopefully becoming more and more tolerant. But then, like you mentioned, online, for example, it seems like we've, we're getting this intensification of the hatred, right? And the more fringe groups and more terrorist attacks and more mass shootings and all of that stuff. And I think... The way I view it, and maybe that's not the way that you're about to present or what you see, but it seems that at least when it comes to tolerance for others, the average person is more and more tolerant. But the fringe groups, it's just becoming more and more polarized. Like the bad are getting really bad, and the good are maybe slowly getting better. But overall, it's a net negative because the influence of the bad is growing more and more. Things like social media allow influencers to affect a lot of people and cause a lot of change in negative ways. Whereas, you know, 40 years ago, the guy in the far right or far left fringe group, it was a lot harder for him to attract an audience than it is now. And so we're kind of seeing this growth of movements towards that type of amoral behavior.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. And a lot of the basis for this shift in the character of our society comes from a change of philosophy that's been developing over the past handful of decades, which is just this idea that in our modern world, generally we live for self-fulfillment, which again, there's good things that come from that. You know, you might say it goes as far as hedonism, which by definition is the pursuit of pleasure or sensual self-indulgence, or this idea that the purpose of your existence is to gain as much pleasure as you can and avoid as much suffering as you can. And people do need to take care of themselves and they do need to find fulfillment in life. Like a lot of things about that are noble, but it gives way to a lot of selfishness, which again, whether you believe that there is even such thing as sin or not, if you have any sort of faith or religious belief or not, pretty much everybody can agree that selfishness is not a good thing because of, for example, greed, right? Dishonesty in most cases is you taking an action that benefits yourself, but it's at the expense of others. Right? And really blatant, extreme examples of selfishness are awful things like rape and child abuse. So when we talk about morals, keep that in mind that really it comes down to selfishness.
1: So I think it's obvious to everyone that things like rape and, you know, just really obviously amoral things are bad. They hurt individuals, they can be self destructive. But my question to you is how does this apply to collapse? Why do you feel that this is a major force in the cause of
0: collapse? Yeah, that's actually a perfect question because that's what I want to dive into next. I mentioned before you could argue that all of the problems we face that are leading us toward collapse are a result of moral failure, right? Take greed, for example. If people had cared when the evidence started to come out that we were destroying the planet and thought, maybe at my own expense, maybe I'm not going to make as much profit, but I know that this is going to be negative for the the rest of life on the planet, either now or in the future, if people would have paused and said, "I'm going to do not what's in my self-interest at the expense of others," then we wouldn't have all of the climate change issues that we have right now. Right? If collectively everyone would have just upheld those morals, or you think about the political ter- turmoil that we face, really, that's a result of politicians being selfish and greedy and pursuing their own interests. And being basically bought by corporations or wanting to advance their political careers so much that they do things that are damaging to the people that they've been elected to govern. Or, right, because of those same selfish motives, they're attacking the other side and it creates this polarization. So to get more specific about why this is so dangerous, you know, why a moral decline is perhaps the biggest issue that we face, you know, a society of people that have to be forced to do the right thing is just unsustainable. Right? People have to govern themselves for society to work. If the only reason you don't do something awful is because you're afraid of getting caught, a lot of awful things are going to happen. And there's no way that you can even have a government big enough and powerful enough and with enough resources to be constantly policing everybody's personal decisions. Like you have to have strong morals if a society is going to sustain itself. And of course, you do still need you know, guardrails in society that keep people from doing awful things But those should only need to come into play for outliers, right? Once you get a whole society of people that are pursuing their self-interest at the expense of others, it's going to crumble and it's going to collapse. And that leads to perhaps the biggest reason why declining morals is so dangerous to our society, which is that it results in a loss of trust. And trust really is the, the oil in the machine of society that keeps it running smoothly So I want to try something with you, Corey. We're just going to kind of display for the whole world right here what your risk tolerance is. So if you said, hey, I really want to go eat at this restaurant, and I said, okay, but there is a 50% chance that when you hand over your debit card or your credit card to have your meal charged, that the waiter or waitress is going to sneak back, copy down your card information, and exploit your finances. If I told you there's a 50% chance of that, would you go eat at that restaurant? No, no way. Okay, what about 25? No. What if I said there's a 10% chance that that's going to happen?
1: No, I still wouldn't. If there's another restaurant where I could go where there was a 0% chance, I would not take the chance.
0: So what if I told you that all the restaurants, all of your options, there's like a 5% chance? You know, there's a 1 in 20 chance that your card information is going to get stolen.
1: I'd probably still just eat from home.
0: Right. What if it had nothing to do with your financial credentials and your identity. But instead I just said, you know, right now restaurants are going through a tough time. It takes more work on their end just to make sure that food is clean and not contaminated. So no matter what restaurant you choose, there's a 50% chance that they're not going to do what they need to, to keep your food uncontaminated.
1: So you're saying there's a 50% chance that anywhere I go to eat, I'm going to get sick.
0: Yes. Would you go? No. 25%?
1: Still no. 10%? Nope. Five percent. I mean, honestly, my guess is that there's more than a 5% chance that I'll get sick anyway. So, and I still go. But if I knew that stat, I probably would not go.
0: Okay, so let's flip the tables here a little bit. Let's say you're a restaurant owner. And I say, hey, anybody who walks through your door, there is a 50% chance that they are not going to pay the bill, right? That they're just going to eat and run. What would you do? Would you be able to continue to run your business?
1: I mean, half my food was getting stolen each day. Then No, there's no way that you could run a business that way.
0: And you think even, right, again, 25%, 10%, 5%, like those interactions and those transactions can't really occur. They can't take place if there is a lack of trust. And you need that in everything, right? A marriage, you have to have a high degree of trust or else that relationship just isn't going to function well. A business partnership, like you have to be able to trust your business partner. So one way that I've heard it stated that I really like, it's that trust itself isn't a virtue. It's a measure of other people's virtue. And right, basically societal trust is just confidence that other people are going to do what they should do most of the time. But once distrust starts to creep in, that's where you get a lot more polarization, right? You get people buying into conspiracy theories. If you don't trust the media, you don't trust your politicians. You
1: don't trust science or scientists, doctors.
0: Yeah. If you have this distrust, you feel like there's always an ulterior motive. Then it leads to a whole world of problems. You know, we rail all the time on Donald Trump for doing and promoting a lot of really terrible things. But he gained support and got voted in in the first place because people felt betrayed by their corrupt government. So you can see how the issue just compounds more and more.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, I've been thinking lately, especially with the attack on the on the Capitol and everything, it's like the grievances of the left and the right really sound quite similar. Like you could write a whole list out of what the left feels about the government and what the right feels about the government and about even things like the police and, and these things that there's like this big chasm between the left and right on. And yet, for the most part, what they actually believe is the same, right? Like, for example, an overall mistrust of the government. We can agree on that. And yet, there's such a fight between the left and the right because there's a distrust between them. If people realize that their fight was the same in most cases people would have a lot more power. The American people would have a lot more power to make the changes that they want to make, but they fight within themselves because, like you said, the conspiracy theories, the lack of trust, they find reasons to hate each other, even though they should be on the same team. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Yeah, you know, right now it's really easy to condemn all those people that were involved in what took place at the Capitol, right? The insurrection and the sedition and the fact that they are attacking the very foundations of our democracy. But from their perspective, if you really believe that the election was stolen, you have that level of distrust in the system itself. You can only imagine, right? Picture if Donald Trump Had won the election, and the left felt that they had strong evidence that he had stolen it. The left would be just as willing to go raid the Capitol and enact violence if needed. And so that distrust is just so incredibly dangerous. And there's a lot of evidence that trust is declining in our society. So this is where it starts to get, in my mind, really scary. There's a fantastic article, I'll make sure we link to it in the description, but I'm just going to read off a few things that it states. It says, in 1964, 77% of Americans said they trusted the federal government to do the right thing most or all the time. Okay, 77%, that's over three quarters of the population says, yeah, the government, they're going to do the right thing. You know, but you contrast that with today and Gen Z, for example, you know, only 10% of that generation trust politicians to do the right thing, right? And it's easy to see why there's such distrust There's been so many times that there's been scandals and we've seen evidence of corruption, right? And we've been jaded and burned so many times that people distrust the government. But what's scarier to me is that if you just look at how people feel about each other, you know, only 30.3% of Americans say that most people can be trusted, which is the lowest number since this survey that the data came from started recording responses back in 1972. You know, you look at millennials, only 19% of millennials said most people can be trusted. So we're at a point where the moral decline of society has resulted in an extreme distrust of society. And that's where society starts to break down. And maybe you can ask yourself this. Do you, do you think that we are a trustworthy society? Do you think most people keep their promises? Do you think most people work for the common good? Or do you think they're just trying to look out for themselves?
1: You know, if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, my answer would be totally different. Just starting college, you know, I think I would have said that I would have trust most people to do the right thing. But man, these last 10 years have just jaded me. Like, I just feel so distrustful, not of most people, but I'm just so wary that there are so many people out there that I can't trust And it sucks because it's changed the way that I look at everything, right? All my dealings that I have, I'm just so much more skeptical. And that keeps me safer. But it's also sad that I have to feel that way.
0: Yeah, it's sad for me too. And I feel the same way. And here I'm not advocating that we should distrust other people. In fact, quite the opposite. I think trust is really important. But it is evident that as a society, we've lost trust. So that leads into the next big danger of moral decline, which is simply that people lose hope in humanity. You know, you talk to most people, and most people right now feel really disgusted by the state of our society. I look at what people say in almost every comment on posts in the subreddit or collapse, and there's just this general sentiment of shame and disgust and bitterness, right? And even comments like, you know, humanity deserves what's coming to them. And other people, you know, see that, the government is not taking any action toward combating climate change. And they start to express, you know, these ideas around, why is this even a society that I want to be a part of? So I want to read a statement. And this comes from that article that I mentioned earlier, that I think is really well done. So when we talk about people's loss of hope in humanity, and you look at the current state of things, young adults, for example, in today's world have so much less stability right? They feel less safe because of all the school shootings and terrorist attacks that they've seen. They're much more likely to have less stability because they're in a single-parent household, right? They're splitting time because of custody. You know, in financial security, apparently millennials only own 3.2% of the wealth, and you add on top of that everything that comes from social media and this social insecurity, needing to know like, do I belong? Am I liked? Right? We're not designed as human beings to have that kind of feedback from hundreds or thousands of people. So it results in these huge spikes that we've seen in depression and anxiety and the suicide rates. Right? As you see all the craziness in the world around you, as you have that much less trust in society, you start to lose hope in humanity and you lose a lot of your own self-worth. So it kind of becomes... A self-reinforcing feedback
1: loop, which we've talked about a lot here, but you know, you've said before the opposite of hope is despair. And when someone despairs, I think they start to engage in a lot of self-destructive behaviors. So Chris Hedges in his book, The Farewell Tour, he talks about a lot of those destructive behaviors like gambling, violent pornography, Drug addiction and how those acts of self harm send you down a further path to more self loathing, you know, inability to hold a job, addictions, you know, all these things that take yourself and society further down that path to destruction. And so, I can definitely see how this isn't just a personal problem. You know, when you go through your own personal moral decay, in a sense, you're not just affecting yourself, but the more it happens, the more
0: society as a whole is affected as well. That is exactly it. You know, we've talked about self-reinforcing feedback loops in the past. The world gets uglier. You turn to all these awful self-destructive behaviors. I see that. And I lose even more hope in humanity. And I start turning to self-destructive behaviors and doing awful things. And as a society, we just sink lower and lower and lower. You know, there's a quote that I want to read. It's just a quick paragraph. But I think it highlights some of the issues we start to see as a result of this kind of self-reinforcing feedback loop. And it comes from that article that I mentioned earlier, but it says, when you look at research on social trust, you find all sorts of virtuous feedback loops. Trust produces good outcomes, which then produce more trust. In high trust societies, corruption is lower and entrepreneurship is catalyzed. Higher trust nations have lower economic inequality. Because people feel connected to each other and are willing to support a more generous welfare state. People in high-trust societies are more civically engaged. Nations that score high in social trust, like the Netherlands, Sweden, China, and Australia, have rapidly growing or developed economies. Nations with low social trust, like Brazil, Morocco, and Zimbabwe, have struggling economies. As the ethicist Cicela Bach once put it, whatever matters to human beings trust is the atmosphere in which it thrives, right? So we talk about trust, and if trust is there, corruption is lower, economies thrive, everything goes better. And if there's a moral decline that's resulting in a lack of trust, then the exact opposite happens. So you mentioned that trust is also a positive feedback
1: loop because the more we trust others and the more they're going to trust us, and that grows as well. So what do you feel like I can do as an individual to reverse this in my own sphere, Obviously, I can't like fix society, but amongst my family and my friends, what can I do? Is it just that I just need to start trusting people, trusting everyone, you know, risking that? Or what would you say?
0: Well, first, I think the best thing you can do is be somebody who is trustworthy. As you maintain a high level of morality, people are attracted to that and people want to reciprocate that. If I do something good for you, it's just part of human nature that you are going to want to return the favor. But if I do something to kind of burn that bridge or I betray you in some way or another, it takes a long time to build trust and it's so worth it because it's so valuable. But trust can be broken. It can be shattered really quickly. So I think just in general, being a good person and being trustworthy means you are going to help everyone around you increase their trustworthiness as well. The other thing I think is you want to take manageable risks. And like I said, trust takes time to build up. So if you're somebody that I've just barely met, you know, and maybe we are coworkers or we're going into a business together or something like that, I have to start with a small test of your trust and increase that over time to continually build trust. I shouldn't trust you more than I know you. So not that I'm always like setting up these secret trials, these tests to see if you'll pass. But if you and I are just barely becoming friends and we go to lunch together, you know, and you forgot your wallet and I pay for your lunch and you say you're going to pay me back, I can see if you actually do before the next, you know, kind of trial of our trust comes along and I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great answer. It does make me think, though, because the whole foundation of our friendship, if I remember correctly, going all the way back to fourth grade is based on
0: me lying to you. <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you bring that up. Or maybe that's another principle, forgiveness. That's important. <laughs> you know, i that's a story for another
1: day, I guess. But I don't read a lot of fiction. But one of the few pieces of fiction that I have read is Les Mis. And your whole answer to my question just immediately made me think of Les Mis and the bishop. He's taking more than just calculated risks. He's going above and beyond. In the beginning of the book... He lets this convict sleep in his house. And it's amazing because the book really touched me. The bishop, he just genuinely loves and trusts people and and expects them to do the right thing. And when they don't, and in this case, Jean Valjean takes the silverware, like one of the only things in that home that was worth anything, and he flees. And even when he's brought back by the police and thrown before the bishop, the bishop just says, you forgot I gave you the candlesticks also, and you, you didn't take them with you, right? And Jean Valjean is just floored by that. And it showed not only like did the bishop trust, but showing that trust when he had no reason to is what changed Jean Valjean's entire life and who he, who he became. If you have not read that book, this is just a side note from me because I just love it. I mean, everything about it has so many echoes of what we've talked about today with moral decline. The situation in France during the French Revolution, as we spoke about last week, was just so devastating, but it has so many parallels to, I think, where I feel like the world is today and where a lot of American life is today. Not necessarily in the amount of outright suffering, but just Everything when it comes to the injustice of the prison system, for example. It's a wonderful example of the of the wealth inequality and the ruthlessness of capitalism. But it's also a great example of what impacts one or a couple good people can make on those around them. And so while I recognize that I'm not a great person, I mean, I have tons of flaws. I think it's important for us each to recognize the potential that we have to affect those around us by striving to be the ones who aren't solely self-centered and who are willing to take some time to give to others to make a difference.
0: I love that. And I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I wasn't going to preach to you, but maybe I'll just say, please be a good person. It's amazing how much impact just being kind can have on others and in improving our society. Along those lines, if you are kind to others and you trust others, you will occasionally get taken advantage of. But I think it'll happen much less than you might expect. And all of the good that'll come from that kindness and that trust far outweighs some of the bad that might come from it. And so one of the issues and it kind of goes along with what we've talked about is people get so cynical, right? You have one time where you kind of put yourself out there and someone makes a mean comment and all of a sudden you just shut down. You say, I'm never gonna do that again, but I think it takes a little bit more emotional resilience than that. And just one other little piece of perspective here. I think most of the time when people do something that is harmful to themselves or to others, I think usually it's a result of kind of a tough hand that they've been given in life or it's some sort of a coping mechanism because of what they're dealing with. I think obviously being careful and taking only calculated risks, we should cut people some slack and at least show enough trust to allow others to be their best selves. Yeah. And you know, you saying this makes me think
1: of something else that you have said to me in the past. And that is that you also feel that if everyone in the world had empathy, that would change everything. It's a lack of empathy that causes people to mistrust each other and to mistreat each other, to react to being hurt by being vengeful and wanting to hurt back. So I think this conversation has been really important because a lot of times I think we just look at collapse from a very systemic point of view, like a very, it's easy to blame other people. And for myself, frankly, I'm just a very like factual person. So I'm looking at like numbers and charts and graphs. And my wife always makes fun of me because I have Excel spreadsheets and things like that. But this is a more abstract concept but one that I think really makes a ton of sense. And when you look at it as we've only gotten where we are because of choices that individual people make along the way. And as our individual choices collectively are getting worse, it's taking our society with it. Kel and I appreciate you taking the time to put this episode together. And honestly, I look forward every time you do these to
0: to what you bring. Thank you. And it makes me excited because I feel like each of these conversations, we always kind of start out by saying, hey, we're only going to touch on a small piece of this. Right, there's so much to discuss here with this topic and so many subcategories that we can dive into of each of the episodes that we've had so far. So the more I learn about all of this, the more of an appetite I have to just go deeper and deeper.
1: Yeah, and thanks to the listeners for the support. It's awesome as we're growing our audience to see more and more people reaching out, asking questions, giving feedback, leaving reviews. It's really nice to know that people aren't just listening, but they're also willing to engage. So if you're listening to this episode... I'd like to challenge you this week to, to reach out to us. Send us a message. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Let us know of any questions you have or feedback or ideas for the podcast. We also appreciate and rely on the support that we get through our Patreon account. So if you feel so inclined, please feel free to visit the Patreon page, which is in the description. We've got some cool things planned for the future for that. And really do appreciate the support that we've gotten up to this point. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week.